You're listening to Health Call Live, your regular Saturday morning appointment with healthcare professionals, where treatment is always painless and there's never a copay. Here's your host, health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. Well, I'm sure you've heard that old saying, food is medicine, right? We've featured a number of guests over the years explaining everything from how food interacts with bacteria in our gut to release nutrients to how foods we eat. It can affect your chances of heart disease, diabetes. You know that there's a tight connection, right? Well, today, we're going to go a little bit nerdy and dip our toe into the field of nutrigenomics. That is the study of how the food we eat interacts with our genes. Dr. Monica Deuce is from the University of Michigan. She studies the effects that food has on your genes, how the ingredients in food can actually switch those genes on and off, and how that can be connected to brain function and just a whole bunch of stuff. It's a pretty interesting field of science, and a good way to understand the power of food is to go out in the field and crack open a beehive. Dr. Deuce says, if you question the power of food, consider how an ordinary bee becomes a queen bee. It's all because of what they are fed. Yes, this is an amazing story. So, uh, you probably heard about queen bees and worker bees. What you might not know is that actually they are a genetically identical organism and one becomes a queen and the other one uh, becomes a worker just because of the food they eat. And this is not just a change in their status, queen versus worker. It's actually a completely different physiology. So the queen bee can live for years. She's fertile. She, in fact, she gives birth to the entire hive. But the worker be on the other hand only live for a few weeks and they have different roles within the colony and they're completely sterile that is only because of the food they eat the queen eats something called royal jelly whereas the bees uh, the worker bees during development uh, end up eating pollen and other things fascinating isn't it and so what does that tell us about what food uh, is doing in our bodies it's more than just nutrition Yes. So what that sort of told me that really striking example is that although we usually think of of food, you know, what did I eat this morning? What am I going to eat at lunch as calories or as fuel for our bodies? There is an additional component to food. I like to think of it as information, uh, something that connects directly to with our genome and the physiology of our cells to really shape very intimately some of the inner workings down to the molecular level. So I think people are associate genes with things like hair color and eye color and that kind of thing, but it's not a static system. It's not set at birth and then never changes. On a simple level, can you kind of walk us through how genes are activated and what that does in our body? Yes. So we have to remember that every single cell in my body and your body and every every human body actually shares the same genome. So because we all came from a single cell, half from mom, half from dad. So we have about 25,000 genes, but not all those all of those genes are on at the same time. So your brain cells turn on a set of genes and turn off another set of genes that allows them to be electrically excitable and do all the things that brain cells do. And then our liver cells turn on a different set of genes. And so 
This really depends on the workings of these genetic switches. And so like the switches uh, from lights in the room, um, genes also have switches. And um, the switches essentially determine whether the gene is turned on or off, where it's on, how much it's on. And this determines whether the cell can be a neuron, like the identity of the cell, but also how fast it's dividing, how it's responding to temperature or nutrients and many things. Got it. So, so clearly then, the foods that we choose to eat are turning on and off our genes at various intensities and levels. So what does that tell us about how that influences health? So food directly tied to health by messaging genes. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, so food has all these different macro and micro and micronutrients. And so parts of this, uh, um, part of this nutrients essentially, like I said, can affect the way the genetic switches are regulated or control inside the cell and inside in the genome. And these genetic switches have important roles for all kinds of things, uh, such as uh, division. So, for example, we know that uh, SAM cancer cells are, uh, quote-unquote, addicted to nutrients, and uh, these nutrients differ depending on the type of cancers. So some type of cancer, for example, are very sensitive to the levels of some amino acids and sugars that are circulating in the blood uh, because they enhance this particular pathway that when this pathway feels these nutrients, then promotes the division and uh, the growth of the cancer. And so in that case, you know, one might think about that uh, if we now try to starve or prevent the cancer from getting to those nutrients, then we might affect its ability to divide or to migrate to different tissues. Oh, man, that is very interesting. I think we could probably do a whole segment on that alone. But I want to focus about uh, some dietary choices that we make and what evidence there might be that it's influencing us. So, for example, if I am eating a high sugar diet, what what information are my genes receiving and how is that affecting my health? So one of the things we know about sugar is that when we have sugar, a lot of sugar in our diets, and I should uh, I should uh, precise that most of the sugar we eat, it's not from sources where we know sugar is coming from. Um, it's usually from food that are prepackaged or processed that end up having a lot of sugar for a number of different reasons. So it's sort of this hidden sugars. Um, so we know that when animals eat uh, foods that have some extra sugar, essentially they tend to eat more. And so we don't actually know uh, the reasons behind it. Why is that we cannot regulate our food intake as well as when we eat other kinds of food? So in our lab, we study uh, how that affects the cells that sense sugar in the tongue or the mouth. And so what we found is that a diet high in sugar actually activated this metabolic pathway, then end up turning off some genetic switches in the nucleus, then makes a cell less likely or less sensitive to sense sugar. So essentially the animals that eat a lot of sugar end up uh, feeling less of it in their mouth. So the intensity of sweetness is less. And this ends up creating the circumstances so that they want it more and they consume more of it. I get it. So we become sort of um, accustomed. Our bodies adjust and we need more. It's like an addict. You need more and more and more to get high every time, right? 
there is a desensitization uh, to this. And in fact, uh, some of your listeners might have uh, quit sugar or, you know, cut down on sugar. Uh, some people, uh, especially that have uh, uh, that have um, tried a ketogenic diet or even a paleo diet where there are low levels of refined sugar, might notice that after a few weeks or a few months, they um, actually cannot, uh, they taste sugar so much, the sweetness of sugar, that they actually are unable, don't find pleasant some of the things that you should eat, bef- that they used to eat before. Because each person essentially has a bliss point for sweetness. And this bliss point, though, depends on diet. And some of that, it's because of the effects of sugar on uh, genetic switches. So again, that is Dr. Monica Deuce. She is a molecular biologist who studies nutrigenomics, the interaction of food with your genes. A lot deeper that we got into the weeds than I had time to include here on the radio. So if you want to check out the full version, you can see the video version of this interview on the Health Call webpage. Just go to healthcall.live, healthcall.live, and you can nerd out there. Lots more ahead today from the leading edge of health medicine. For example, one type of coffee that might actually help you live longer. We'll look at how artificial intelligence can predict whether you're going to have a heart attack. And if you're using artificial sweeteners to cut calories, you may be training your brain to do bad things. All of that when we come back on the Health Call Live Radio Hour on WoWo. Welcome back to Health Call Live. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just call us at 447-1190. And if you want to send a text with a question, you can always reach out to me here at the studio at 46862-46862. You know, I follow health news all week long and come across lots of interesting information, research, new technologies, practical health tips you can use every day. And there's a trend I'm seeing. And there's a growing interest in work on the concept of longevity. How can we stay healthier longer and extend our lives? A couple of examples in the news this week, and one of them involves coffee. The other, something called glutathione. All right, so let's talk about coffee first. It has been controversial for years, right? I mean, I've seen studies that say coffee contributes to liver cancer. And then I've seen reports that say it prevents colon cancer and prevents heart disease and helps fight type 2 diabetes. So lots of research all over the place on this one. Well, the new report out this week is from a noted longevity researcher who says that in areas of the world where people live the longest, coffee is consumed regularly. Coffee is rich in polyphenols. Those are compounds that act as antioxidants and fight inflammation. And researcher Dan Butner says Greek coffee has the biggest benefit in that area. Greek coffee is lightly roasted, very finely ground, and then boiled. Supposedly, this creates a foamy, rich, creamy cup of coffee. And the beans are so finely ground, there's no need to strain them out. You just kind of let them settle to the bottom of the cup. So that means that you are eating some of those coffee grounds. This process supposedly produces a bigger dose of antioxidants, but less caffeine. So in 2018, a study of half a million people showed that drinking coffee is associated with a lower risk of death. And surprisingly, the biggest reduction in mortality was found in people who drank six to seven cups a day. 
And that's, you know, quite a bit more than the four cups a day. Doctors tell you to put the cap on it there. So interesting that this was true for both caffeinated and decaf coffee drinkers. And so it seems to be these antioxidants do play a role. And if that is, in fact, the case, well, then Greek coffee might be the way to go. Now, I've never had Greek coffee. I wouldn't even know where to find it here in Fort Wayne. If you do, shoot me a text at 46862, and I'll share that with other people. The other longevity headline that caught my attention comes from a doctor at the Baylor College of Medicine who says that glutathione can slow down aging that happens at your cellular level. So, Dr. Rajapul Sekar says mice given glutathione live 24% longer. And here it is again that oxidative stress seems to be playing a role. It contributes to aging by damaging our mitochondria. Those are the little powerhouse mechanisms within our cells that provide the energy for all cellular functions that you need to survive. So, Dr. Sekar says glutathione levels drop as you get older. So, as we age, your body's making less glutathione, so you are then less able to deal with this oxidative stress. And this oxidative stress is what slows down your mitochondria, and your mitochondria are producing the energy that you need for cell division and other things. You get that connection? It's kind of a string through all of that there. So, that's why as we get older, he says, we see more loss of muscle strength, defects in our metabolism, and others. So, he has been researching giving amino acid glycine and something called N-acetylcysteine to mice. Now, this combo is what your liver uses to make glutathione. I know this is getting a little deep, but hang with me. It goes someplace. So, you can take glutathione as a supplement, but that causes digestive problems for some people, issues for others in other ways, kind of increases your uh, allergy response. So, what can you do about that? You can get more of the ingredients that create this glutathione that your body uses to make it by eating milk thistle, gusso seaweed, whey protein, or flaxseed. Adding those things to your diet all are helpful. And if you're going to do flaxseed, make sure you buy milled flaxseed because otherwise it kind of passes right through. Your body doesn't really digest it. Flaxseed also has omega-3 fatty acids. So, that's all good. So, yes, you can find all these things. And this is where I'm going to point you back to our good friend of the program, Greg Russell, pharmacist, clinical nutritionist at Fort Wayne Custom RX. Greg knows this stuff quite well, and he can point you to really pharmaceutical quality supplements that uh, he can guide you to that will make a difference if you want to try adding some glutathione to your diet. You can also, you know, you can also just start eating more milk thistle and all that kind of thing. Uh, somebody just mentioned here on the point of coffee, somebody sent me a text and said, uh, you can do the same thing in a French press. So, I don't know if you know how a French press works, but essentially a, a cylindrical glass tube. You pour the coffee and hot water in there together, and uh, you push down on a, on a platform within the press. It separates the coffee grounds, and you get kind of the outcome there. So, 
they supposedly uh, produces less caffeine that way, but generates more of the oils. So that's what we're talking about here, the polyphenol. So that is one concept that was put forward by a listener. Also, uh, somebody is saying that you can probably get Greek coffee at Greek Fest, and you might check at some of the Greek restaurants in town. Well, of course, that makes sense. So thanks for that input on where to find Greek coffee if you're trying to extend your life using the coffee method. This whole area of longevity is really interesting, and there's a lot of new science going on there, and so I'm going to be watching that very closely, hearing more about that as research ramps up. One of the things that is involved in that whole longevity movement is something we've talked about for on the program, and that is intermittent fasting. Putting your body into an area of calorie deprivation for a period of hours, it lets your body quit processing food and work more on internal features. So, yeah, we'll talk more about that in the future as well, I'm sure. So, I want to shift now to artificial intelligence. It's going to have a big influence on our lives as we move forward in healthcare. Just one example is computers are getting really good at reading x-rays. It's thought that before too long, x-rays are first going to be analyzed by a computer, which will then flag what it thinks is wrong and then send that on to a radiologist for confirmation. Well, at Cedars Center, Cedar sinai Medical Center, they're using AI to look at a form of computed tomography and geography, and they're studying the amount of plaque that accumulates in your coronary arteries and predicting the chance whether or not you are going to have a heart attack five years before it's likely to happen. Humans can do the same thing. They can study the results of these CT angios, and they can take a look at it and tell, uh, yeah, you've got this plaque buildup here, and it's not looking good, and, and make some recommendations based on that. But that takes as much as 30 minutes to do that analysis. But when you bring artificial intelligence into the picture, at Cedars-Sinai, they're saying they can do it in six seconds. So that reduces the cost. It makes it more available. So wouldn't that be fascinating to see that you go in and have a, a CT scan and they'll tell you, yeah, you know, you're at high risk. About five years from now, there could be a heart attack happening on the pace of we're seeing this uh, arterial plaque accumulate. So fascinating how artificial intelligence is also working on that. AI is also playing a role, and this is fascinating, in, in being able to tell whether or not you're at risk just by listening to your voice. At Mayo, they're using the Vocalis Health algorithm. It listens to your voice and measures 80 unique characteristics that look for signs of coronary artery disease. It boils them all down to a risk score. If you have a high-risk score, it means you're 2.6 times more likely to have a problem and then, in fact, they found 59% of the people who had high risk, well, they popped up in the hospital within two years with that problem. So, artificial intelligence, changing the way healthcare is delivered, reducing the cost, and also making a big difference for how this is all going to go forward in healthcare. And they're now even saying that this uh, whole voice analysis can even spot COVID 19. Amazing to hear where this technology is going. All right, so turning the page now, let's look at some artificial sweetener news. This I thought was real interesting. It says that there is a, a trend that if you're using artificial sweeteners, trying to reduce calories in your diet, you are actually making it harder on yourself to lose weight. These zero-calorie sweeteners are called non-nutritive sweeteners, or NS, NNS, that's how the scientists refer to them, and they actually are much, much sweeter than sugar is itself. So, the problem is, if you use these NNSs 
to reduce the calories you take in, you are training your brain to crave even more sweets. So artificial sweeteners, according to dietitian Zoe Schroeder, make the brain addicted to that extremely sweet taste, and it triggers cravings, which does what? causes you to eat even more sugar, goes seeking more sweets. So I've also seen research that says people who drink diet sodas have a different gut microbiome, aspartame, uh, sucralose, neotame, saccharin, all toxic to the good bacteria that we need in your gut. So there, if you're, if you're using those artificial sweeteners, be aware of those changes. All the time we've got for you today. I'll be back again next week. We're going to be taking a close look at prostate issues. So join us here for Health Call next Saturday morning at 9. You've been listening to Health Call Live. Watch a recording of today's program on the Health Call Facebook page or on the web at www.healthcall.live. Drop us a line to recommend a guest or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for another edition of Health Call Live on WoWo 1190 a.m. at 107.5 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.